Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Continue with Zad al Mustaqna' of Imam al Hajjawi in Fiqh al Halabila. We're with the author today with permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're starting Faslun fil A'dar al Musqita lil Jum'a wal Jama'a. The section entitled The Excuses which are valid for one to leave alone the congregational prayer as well as the Jum'ah prayer. So the author he says, or before he says that, we say, This uh, section is built upon the qa'ida in fiqh, built upon the rule in fiqh, that difficulty brings about ease. So the author he says, that the person who is sick, he's able to leave alone the Jum'ah and he's able to leave alone the Jama'ah, meaning the congregational prayer. So the person who has Marad. So the ulama such as Shaykh Muttalaq Jasr, Hafizullah Ta'ala, he says that the Dabit, the controlling rule for what is a sickness, which uh, qualifies for one to leave alone Jum'ah or the Jama'ah, the congregation, is that sickness that if you go to the prayer, then the sickness will only increase. Or if you go to the prayer, then the sickness will take much longer to get better. Or it's told to you by a doctor that if you go to the congregation due to the, your immune system, the state that it's in, there's a particular bug or virus that's around and that will cause you to get sick. So the last scenario is where you're not sick at the moment, but you've been told by a trustworthy doctor that if you go to a particular masjid or particular area due to the state of your immune system and there's a virus around, then you can uh, you will catch a sickness. And so due to that, you are excused not to go. So again, the author, he's saying that it's permissible for you not to attend the Jum'ah or the congregational prayer if the person is sick. And that sickness is the one which causes you uh, difficulty in getting better. Okay. Or it causes you, uh, sorry, difficulty in the sense that you have a fever or you have a uh, toothache. So the sickness is either one of a fever or a toothache. And um, the consideration is that if you were to go to the Jama'ah, then this type of ache that you have or fever or any type of sickness that you have would increase or it would take a lot longer for you to get better. Imam Ibn Majah and Ibn Hajjul al-Asqalani, he said it's authentic in Talkhis. Uh, the Prophet وسلم, said, Man sami'a nidaa falam ya'tihi fala salata lahu illa min udhrin. Qalu ya Rasulullah mal udhr? Qal khawfun aw maradun. The Prophet وسلم, said that whoever hears the call to prayer and he doesn't attend that call to prayer, meaning he doesn't respond by going to the congregation, then there's no prayer for him unless he has an excuse. They said, Ya Rasulullah, what is considered an excuse? He said, fear of something that will harm you or being sick. So either one is fearful of something that will harm him or one is sick. Imam Ibn Mundhir, Rahimullah Ta'ala, in his famous book, Al-Ijma'ah, the book which collects together those things that the Ummah has agreed upon, he said, La a'lamu khilafan bayna ahlil ilm, anna lil marid an yatakhallafa anil jama'at min azlil marad. He said, I don't know if any difference of opinion amongst the people of knowledge saying that it's not allowed for the one uh, to stay away from the Jama'ah or the Jummah if the person is sick. Uh, Shaykh Fahad al-Mutiri, Hafidhullah, he says that the humbly scholars, they hold that the one who is sick and excused from uh, coming to the Jummah 
if it's possible that, possible that he can be carried to the congregation, to the Jummah, not the slaughter congregation, rather to the Jummah specifically, if the person can be carried without major harm, then this should be done so. If the person can be brought to Jummah, even though he's excused from the congregational prayers, then he should be brought to the Jummah prayer. The author, he says, the next thing for which the person is uh, permissible to stay away from the congregational prayer or the Jummah is وَمُدَافِعٌ أَحَدُ الْأَخْبَثَيْنِ وَمُدَافِعٌ أَحَدُ الْأَخْبَثَيْنِ is if the person is in a situation whereby he's holding back the need to go to urine or the need to relieve himself from feces. Excuse me. So if the person is holding this back in himself, uh, it's not recommended. In fact, it's wrong for him to go to the congregation whilst in that state because the Prophet ﷺ said in Sahih Muslim, from the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha where the Prophet said لا صلاة بحضرة الطعام ولا هو يدافئه الأخبثان that there is no prayer for the one who is food is presented to him or for the one who is holding back the أخبثان and as we said the أخبثان is the need to go to urine the need to relieve oneself from urine or the need to relieve oneself from uh, the harm in his stomach so this is another reason why one maybe wouldn't attend the jama'ah and in fact the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith told us clearly that one shouldn't uh, attend the jama'ah in that state. Now the question to you, what is the ta'leel? What is the reasoning for the Prophet ﷺ saying this? That in the one who is uh, holding back urine etc. that he shouldn't attend the jama'ah, rather he should relieve himself. Where is the reasoning for this? The ta'leel behind this? Question to yourselves. Okay, the ta'leel that the scholars give, obviously, that this will prevent the khushu, the tranquility that the person will have. It's, it will prevent the ability for the person to concentrate in the salah on what they're saying. And it's not dignified of a person to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in such a situation whereby they, whereby they are preventing themselves to go to the bathroom. And of course, this is something we need to teach our children that many a time, as soon as the salah is over, they rush off to the bathroom. So we need to teach them that actually you should have gone before the salah. So you could have stood in the salah, concentrating on, on what was to be said. And, and for the adults, of course, we need to uh, schedule our days around the salawat. So if you know that after eating a meal, it takes you 10, 15 minutes before you go visit the bathroom, you should schedule your times so that it doesn't cause you to miss out on the uh, salat al-jama'ah. In any case, the author, he said, with the presence of the akhbathan, the, the, uh, the urine in the feces, the person needs to relieve themselves, then they should go ahead and do that, even if it means that they're going to miss the jama'ah or be delayed from the jama'ah. The author, he said, may Allah have mercy upon him, وَمَنْ بِحَضْرَةِ الطَّعَامِ مُحْتَاجٌ إِلَيْهِ And the person who is in need of food, okay, and the food is presented to him. So here there's two qaid, there's two restrictions for this ruling to apply for the person to miss the jama'ah or to be let, delayed uh, in attending the jama'ah. The first of them is that the person, uh, food will be presented to him and the second is that the person is in need of that food. If there's no need for a person to have that food then of course you know the ruling doesn't apply to him. Uh, Bukhari narrates that Ibn Umar, Kana Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu yasma'u qira'at al-imam wa huya ta'asha that uh, Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu, anhuma he used to hear the recitation of the imam meaning that the congregation has started, yet he would continue with his food because it would be a situation that the food was presented to him and he was in need of eating. Because if you don't eat, then what's going to take place? What's going to take place is that you are unable to concentrate. A question to yourselves, 
how much should the person eat? Should the person eat enough uh, just to be able to go to the congregation or should he fill himself uh, completely to what his uh, desire wants him to do so? Question to yourself, how much should the person eat in this situation? طيب, the ulama, as mentioned by Sheikh Fahd al-Mutiri, Hafidullah, he said that the ulama, they say that the person should eat to his fill. And the reason being that when he goes to the salah, he can concentrate fully. He won't be thinking about the chicken piece that he left on his table. Uh, Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr, Hafidullah, he says that this doesn't only apply to these desires, meaning the need to relieve yourself or the need for food. It applies also to other desires which may be strong. Uh, for the person who's newly married, uh, these people know exactly what is being spoken about, right? Uh, Bukhari, he narrates Mu'allaqan uh, in one of his narrations that Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said, من فقه الرجل إقباله على حاجاته حتى يقبل على صلاته وقلبه فارق. نعم. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu, he said from the fiqh, of a person, of a man, from the understanding and knowledge of a man, is that he goes ahead and fulfills his needs, strong needs, before he goes to his salah, so that he can be in the salah whilst he's fully able to concentrate. So it may not be the case that it's only to do with uh, fulfilling the need of food or fulfilling the need of relieving yourself. It could be the marital needs also, right? That at a particular point in the day, it's so strong that you won't be able to concentrate in the salah. I mean, this is very far-fetched, uh, except for a few people. But uh, in any case, uh, Abi Darda radiallahu anhu said that the important thing is that you go to the prayer and you're able to concentrate on the prayer, that you arrange your day in such a way that when you go to the prayer, you're able to have khushu, you're able to have tranquility by way of being able to concentrate in the prayer and not having something which is uh, important or uh, immediate to be fulfilled in the back of your mind, right? And as we know, khushu, Tranquility is something which is imperative for us to seek in our prayers. Allah says that successful are those believers who have tranquility in their salah. And Ibn Taymiyyah used to hold it as a shartu siha. He used to hold it as a condition for the validity of the prayer that the person would have in his salah. So you can imagine the situation of many of us. As soon as we enter the salah, our mind goes into a thousand different directions. So having khushu in the salah is something which is extremely important and it must be studied how to have that and how to develop that. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, min So also these people, it's also permissible for them to stay away from the jama'ah and the juma'ah. That the person, min That in these three situations, two of them being one, in reality, that uh, a person is afraid that his wealth will become spoiled or be stolen. Okay, so a person is afraid that his wealth will become st will be stolen or it will be spoiled. So, with regards to stolen, for example, a person has livestock and he has them in a particular place, and he knows that if he goes to the Juma or he goes to the congregation prayer, then it's likely that his uh, wealth, the livestock, is going to be stolen or it's going to run away. So in this situation, the person, he has to stay with his wealth in order to protect it. And he's excused from not attending the Jummah or the Jama'ah. Or it can be a person in a situation where his wealth will be harmed. And uh, the ulama, they give an example. Sheikh Fahad al-Mutiri gives an example. He says, for example, a baker. A baker running a bakery, he's baking. And he knows that these products that he's baking, the bread, etc., 
that if he was to leave it without being attended, then the, the product would be burnt. The end result would be burnt bread and he wouldn't be able to sell it to anyone. So they say to the baker in this situation, pray in the place where you are. Okay. Or it could be somebody is a doctor and the doctor is unable to leave alone his patient. Or it could be that somebody is a security officer, a police officer of some uh, situation where he has to protect a person. And if he was to leave that person unprotected, then harm may come to that person. So the author, again, he says that the person who is afraid of his wealth being lost or harmed, then for this person it's permissible that he is able to, uh, it's, he's able to avoid, him, excuse himself from attending the congregational prayer or the Juma prayer. However, uh, some of the illustrious ulema like Majd ibn Taymiyyah, rahimullah ta'ala, the author of, the, the grandfather of uh, Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says it's better for the person to seek that which is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's better for you to choose that which is with Allah meaning that this could be your last Jummah. It could be the last Jummah that you attend and the reward contained therein is going to be so immense for you to attend the Jummah or to attend the Jama'ah. Right? But of course, as Fahd al-Matiri said when explaining this, that this type of people is long past. These were centuries ago that we had righteous people like this and very few and far between do we have them now. So again, as a recap, uh, the author is saying that anybody who's in a situation where his wealth is going to be harmed or he fears it's going to be lost, etc., then he can be excused from attending the Jummah Salah. The author mentions another example of a person that can be excused from attending the Jummah or the uh, Jama'at. He says, or the death of somebody uh, or the death of his relative is the literal transliteration. What this means is that if you have a relative that you know is soon going to die, or there's a person that you are taking care of, you are looking after them, uh, a very sick person, and if you were to leave that person, then it's likely that they would pass away. Then of course you have to stay with them and not attend their congregation prayer or the Jummah prayer. Or it's that you have a close friend or a relative that is soon to pass away. Obviously, you don't want to miss out on those moments, uh, so it's not incumbent upon you to attend the Jummah prayer or the uh, congregational prayers. Imam Bukhari collects from the hadith of Nafi'ah that Ibn Umar, that Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu dhukira luhu anna Sa'id ibn Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl wa kana badriyan marida fi yawm juma' that this companion, uh, Sa'id ibn Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl and he was from the companions of Badr, it was mentioned to Ibn Umar that this person is on his deathbed, meaning that he's very sick. Okay, and this was on the day of Jummah. So after the in the early morning hours, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu rushed to go and see this friend of his. And this was close to the time of Jummah, and Ibn Umar took it upon himself to leave the Jummah Salah. So this is another excuse for a person if they need to leave alone the congregational prayers or they need to leave off the Jummah prayer due to the death of somebody that they are either taking care of or due to the likely death of somebody that um, they are related to or friends with and they need to see that person in the person's last dying moments. The author he says, or it could be a situation that the person is fearful for himself that there's real potential harm, not imagined harm, you know a lot of people they imagine harm this is real potential harm that a person can face. So for example, a person is living in a place where Islamophobia is extremely high and there's been a lot of racist attacks 
from the uh, host community, right? They're attacking Muslims who are a minority in that place. So you know that if you were to go out to the masjid at that particular time, you're likely to be attacked. Or it could be known that there are wild animals that have escaped and they're in the vicinity. So obviously to prevent yourself from that harm, you don't go to the Jummah or the congregational prayer. And another take on this, it could be that you're taking care of someone in your house, that if you were to leave them like children, young children, then something potentially dangerous could happen to them. So this is another take on what the author said. The author says, Aw Sultanin. Another reason is that maybe there's an authority out there, a legitimate authority, but they're an oppressive authority and they're after you for an Islamic reason. Okay, if it was an Islamic reason, then this doesn't, uh, then this doesn't apply to you. But if it's an un-Islamic reason and the authority is oppressive and they want to get hold of you, so if you were to be seen walking the streets to go to Jummah or to go to the congregational prayer, then this would cause you difficulty by way of you being caught by them and by being harmed. So in this situation, you would also be excused. Also the author, he adds, Or it could be that uh, a creditor, somebody that you owe money to or you owe something to, is uh, nearby and if they were to see you they would give you a real hard time and you have nothing by which to pay them back the debt that you owe them okay so if you have something of course to pay them back then this doesn't apply to you but if you have nothing by which to pay them back and you know that the creditor is going to give you a hard time then in this situation you are allowed to excuse yourself from going to the masjid for juma or for uh, salat al jama'ah or for the congregational prayer the author, he says, Or it could be a situation whereby you are going to lose your companions. So you could be traveling and if you stop to pray and they are not stopping to pray, it would mean that uh, you would lose uh, the caravan and you may lose your way. You may need them to lead you to your destination. So in this situation, the ulama, they allow you to excuse yourself from the congregational prayer or from the Juma, and they say to stay with your companions and to pray with them whenever they stop to pray. Or it could be a situation where you're at the airport and uh, you're waiting for the flight status, the flight has been delayed, but you know it's going to take off at any moment and therefore you won't be able to pray because your mind won't be on the Salah, your mind will be on the uh, potential flight leaving without you. So in this type of situation, again, the person is excused. Another excuse the author gives, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, or a situation wherein a person is overcome by being tired. Okay, a person has a very hard day at work. Instead of working the normal 12 hours or 8 hours, he worked like 18 hours. So in this situation, the person is extremely tired and he knows that if he goes to the masjid and waits for the jama'ah, he's literally going to fall asleep in the sujood. So for this person, it's an excuse for them that they can pray in their house because of course the time between the Adhan and the Iqama can be uh, you know, up to half an hour at times and the person is unable to wait, so he prays in the house on time. This is also an excuse. Uh, added to this, we can also say that we should be careful with regards to the upbringing of our children in the sense that we shouldn't overburden them. So sometimes you may find that we're very diligent and that's how we should be in trying to train our children to pray in Jama'ah. But there may be a particular situation which is natural for children that in a particular day, particular moment, they're quite tired. So in this moment where they're very tired, uh, we should excuse them and allow them to pray at home and not force them to go and pray in congregation 
because that's only going to put in their minds that this deen is very difficult and it has no mercy which is far from being the reality. The author he says or it could be a situation when a person is going to be harmed by uh, rain showers, heavy rain showers. Wahl is like uh, slushy mud. Okay, the ground is very, uh, is very wet and muddy. So there's a lot of slush on the ground and the person, uh, he's going to be harmed by that when going to and forth from the masjid. So the Prophet Sallallahu is narrating in Bukhari al-Muslim, كَانَ النَّبِي صَلَّى that the Prophet used to tell the Mu'adhin after he would make the Adhan, after being commanded to make the Adhan, tell the people to pray in their, in their residences, in their homes, on the nights where it's cold and uh, in the nights where it's extremely cold, or whilst on a journey when it's raining. So whilst on a journey when it's raining means that of course the ground is going to be extremely muddy and slushy and it's difficult for the person to pray on that ground. So if it's a situation where the people going to the masjid they're going to become soaked in their clothes or going to the masjid is going to cause them to become very muddy, maybe even stuck uh, in some situations, then they're excused from praying in the jama'ah or attending the jummah. Uh, it could be a situation where a person, uh, you know, yeah, so like the situations I described, is probably enough information there. Uh, of course, we have to bear in mind that in some areas, uh, the roads are very well developed and there's not going to be any mud or any slush. And people have the luxury of having cars. So journeying in a car, even though it's raining and uh, it's cold, it's not really going to affect you because you could turn on your heater, you're protected in your car, and you can get to the masjid without being very wet at all. So in this situation, it wouldn't apply to you. However, in the absence of that luxury, if it means that you're going to get soaked on your way to the masjid or you're going to be extremely muddy, then uh, the person is excused from attending the masjid. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, Or in a situation where it's an extremely cold wind and it's in the middle of the night or it's in the dark part of the night for Maghrib or Isha, that is extremely cold. So in this situation, uh, the person is excused. And some of the ulama, they say also, even during the day, it's not to do with only the night. Yes, it's difficult in the night to traverse to the masjid, but if the wind is extremely cold, then it's going to be difficult even during the day. So even during the day, a person is excused in a situation where the winds are icy, chilly, cold. And again, this depends on the person's situation. Uh, the thing to always remember is that, you know, it's from our iman that we rush to go to the masjids. We have our hearts attached to the masjid. We're not from those people who want to make excuse for ourselves to avoid the jama'at or the jummah. Rather, we're from those who will push ourselves in many situations to get to the masjid. But we have to bear in mind the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, لا ضرر ولا ضرر. There's no harming oneself and there's no bringing about of harm. So a person should never put himself in a situation where he's going to harm himself. A question to yourselves as we finish this particular section. Which man shouldn't attend the masjid, not due to being excused, but due to being commanded not to attend? So a person, he is commanded by the sharia not to attend the masjid, even though he's fully healthy and he has none of these excuses that we mentioned for being absent from the jama'ah. 
So who can this person be? What can the situation be for a person to be told not to come to the masjid? Question to yourselves. Okay, barakallahu feek. Yes, so this would come back under the first point which I mentioned as an excuse, which would be the sickness, right? That there's a particular bug going around and the doctors have told you that uh, if you go, your immune system is going to be affected. So you're right in that sense, but this point has already been mentioned. I'm thinking of something which has not been mentioned in any of the categories. So you're commanded not to attend the masjid. Asanta barakallahu feek. May Allah increase you in good. So this is what Shaykh Hussaymin Rahimullah Ta'ala said. It's uh, the situation when the person has eaten raw onions or he's eaten uh, raw garlic or he's a smoker and his breath smells very bad. So this person is commanded by the Prophet Sallallahu to stay away from the masajid because that which harms the sons of Adam harms the angels. So it's a serious issue that when we go to the masjid, we have to ensure that we're in a good state of appearance and a good state of cleanliness to the best of our ability. However, point to mention also though I'm sidetracking, uh, many a times we have brothers who attend the masjid who are laborers and they've been laboring out in the day for like eight hours or more. We shouldn't look down upon them sternly for not being able to keep their hygiene to the level that we are accustomed to. Rather, we should excuse them uh, for the situation that they are in. Taib, the author, he moves on and he says, Bab Salatul Ahlil A'dar. The chapter wherein the people are excused uh, for praying differently. Okay, so these people have some type of excuse and they would alter the state of the prayer, the type, the way the prayer is prayed or uh, the type of prayer itself, right? It's taken from four rak'ah to two rak'ah or they just pray differently. So who are these people? In Bab Salat Ahlil Adar, the chapter of the people who have excuses when they pray. These fall under three categories. Number one, Marad, the person who is sick, he would pray differently. Two, As-Safr, the person is who Musafir, he would pray differently. And third, Al-Khawf, the person who is in a situation of fear, that person is allowed also to pray differently. So this chapter is pertaining to these three categories, mentioning a variety of different points uh, related to them. So the author, he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, تَلْزَمُ الْمَرِيدَ الصَّلَاءَ قَائِمًا It's imperative upon the uh, sick person that he has to pray standing up, okay, if he's able to do so, of course. Uh, in the hadith in Bukhari, Imran ibn Hussein narrates this hadith and in Imran ibn Hussein, he had uh, a sickness which affected uh, his ability to stand, okay, uh, hemorrhoids, it affected his ability to stand, rahimahullah ta'ala. So he asked the Prophet sallallahu what he should do. The Prophet sallallahu said, Salli qa'iman, pray standing up. فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَقَائِدًا If you're unable to pray standing up, you pray sitting down. فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ if you're unable to pray sitting down, then you pray on your side, okay? So with regards to this teaching, we know, as the author said, that the sick person, if he's able to do so, he has to pray standing up. And the ulama, they mentioned that this can include standing up whilst leaning on something. You can lean on a stick, you can lean on a chair in front of you, you can lean against the wall. However, this leaning shouldn't be to the extent that if that thing is taken away from you, that you are leaning on, that you would then fall over. Why? Because your standing has to include some type of standing. There has to be some mushakka of standing there, right? But if you're completely leaning on something, it means you're not standing at all. You're completely leaning. But this, of course, is in the case where somebody is able to do some type of standing. If it's a situation where a person cannot stand except uh, by leaning on something 
to the extent which I mentioned that if it was taken away then he would fall over then in that situation he can stand if he wishes to do so otherwise he can take the rukhsah uh, to sit and pray sitting down also the ulama mentioned with regards to standing up for the sick person uh, they say that the sick person is allowed to stand in such a way if he has a problem with his back stomach etc such a way that he's leaning over okay he's allowed to lean over and stand so he's not standing upright he's allowed to lean over and stand but there is a, a limit to this standing this type of standing what is that limit can anybody think what is the limit to the allowance of this type of standing where you are leaning forward or leaning over so this is the key point that brother mentioned that as long as your hands are not touching your knees because then that takes you to, to, to the position of being in ruku. So you're allowed to stand uh, crouching over, bending over uh, due to need as long as your hands are not uh, in the position whereby they touch your knees because then you will be considered as being in the position of ruku. and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The author he says If the person is not able to stand then he should pray sitting down. Okay, So the person can't stand due to a pain or he can't stand due to the fact that he has an illness and if he stands it's going to slow his recovery. So one of the two. There's something which is preventing him from standing causing him difficulty or it's a type of illness that if he stands he can stand but then that illness would take a lot longer for him to recover from. So in these situations, the person should pray sitting down. Shaykh Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala in Zad al-Mustaqna, uh, not Zad al-Mustaqna, Sharh al-Mumtah of Zad al-Mustaqna, uh, his explanation of Zad al-Mustaqna, he says that the dhabit of mushaqqa, the controlling rule of what is considered mushaqqa, what is considered difficulty uh, in this situation, is that when the heart is unable to have khushu, the person is in so much pain or so much difficulty that he's wishing that he didn't pray standing up. He's wishing that rather he prayed sitting down. So he said that when a person is in a situation like this, then the person can sit down because there's so much pain or there's so much difficulty. He's unable to concentrate in the salah. The person is just wishing that, why did I do this? I should have prayed sitting down. Taib, another point regarding sitting down and praying is that when the person is sitting down and praying, it's recommended that they sit mutarabbi'an. Mutarabbi'an is that you sit with your legs crossed on your buttocks. You sit with your legs crossed, okay? And uh, this is in the position of standing and making ruku. But with regards to sujood, uh, many of the ulama of the madhab, they say that you sit uh, muftarishan, you sit as you would for tashahud. With regards to any sitting in the salah and sujood included therein, you would sit as you would in tashahud. But the standing, you would sit cross-legged. So for the ruku and the standing, you sit cross-legged. However, Ibn Qudama, he said that you sit mutarabbi'an, you sit cross-legged throughout the whole of the salah. And uh, Imam Nasa'i, he collects the narration of Ummul Mu'mineen, Aisha radiyallahu anha, where she said, Ra'aytu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yusalli mutarabbi'an. She said, I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, sitting with his legs crossed. However, this is something which is recommended and it's not something which, which is wajib. So however a person finds a comfort in sitting when there is a need for them to sit, then they can go ahead and sit in that manner to bring about ease, uh, to bring about ease for them. The author, he said, فَإِنْ عَجَزَ فَعَلَى جَنْبِهِ If the person is unable to sit down, he's unable to stand first and foremost, then he's unable to sit. So then what he should do, he should pray on his side. 
Then he prays on his side. When the person is praying on his side, uh, he should pray uh, on the side which is easier for, easier for him, whether that be the left side or the right side. Whatever side is easier for him, as long as he's facing the Qibla. So his face would be facing the Qibla, like when a person is put into the coffin. Okay, They are lied down on their side and they are uh, put facing the Qibla. Uh, likewise, the person would uh, either be on his right or his left. So a question to yourselves, this person, uh, may Allah protect us and give us good health, has to lay down on one of his sides, right? And so to him, it's the same whether he lays down on the right or the left. So what is the preferred side that he should lay on in this situation? If it's the same for him, whether it's the left or the right, what is the preference in this situation? Barakallahu feek. Jazakallah khair. May Allah reward you, inshallah. So the Prophet وسلم, as narrated in Bukhari, Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يعجبه التيمن في تناعله وترجله وطهوره وفي شأنه كله That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he used to be amazed by and he used to like uh, using the right in doing everything from his purification, from the putting, of in, putting on of his shoes and from the combing of his hair and other deeds. So it's something which is love to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, to start things and to do things with the right. So this is the answer to that. The author he says, فَإِن صَلَّ مُسْتَلْقِيًا وَرِجْلَاهُ إِلَى الْقِبْلَةِ صح. However, if the person prays on his back whilst his feet are pointing towards the Kaaba, then this is valid for him to do so. This means here that even if he is able to pray on his side, then the person is allowed for him to pray in this situation on his back, okay, whilst his feet are facing the Kaaba. A second riwayah, another narration in the Madhab held by Ibn Qadam and others, they say this is not the case unless the person is not able to pray uh, on his side, meaning that he shouldn't go to the position of praying on his back unless he's unable to pray on his side. Why is that? Why is that? Question to yourselves. Why did Ibn Qudama say this? That you shouldn't pray on your back, lying down on your back, unless it's a situation that you can't pray on your side. Sahih, barakallahu feek. That's the tartib, that's the answer. So in the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein, the Prophet said, pray standing. If you can't pray standing, then you pray sitting. If you can't pray sitting, then you pray on your side. So Ibn Qudam is saying that this will oppose the order of the hadith, that you shouldn't go to pray on your back unless you can, unless it's a case that you can't do one of the three things which is mentioned in the hadith. So the author, he said that the person is legitimate for him to pray on his back, okay, uh, with his feet facing the qibla. Why does his feet have to be facing the qibla and not his head? in this situation? Question to yourselves. Nobody else? Okay, so basically, if the person has a sudden burst of good health after not being able to pray standing up, suddenly Allah gives them a burst of good health and they're able to stand up. If they had their head facing the Qibla, they would end up standing with their back towards the Qibla. However, if their feet are facing the Qibla, if they were to stand up, they would stand up facing the Qibla. So this is what the ulama, they say, pertaining to that question. The author he says, That the person when he's uh, in the situation where he's on his back or he's on his side, okay, he's lying down, then what he does, he makes ima. Ima is that he gestures with his head for the ruku and he gestures with his head a bit lower for the situation of sujood, okay. So ima is to move the head, it's not to move the body. So what I'm saying here is if a person is lying down, he doesn't have to move his whole body towards the ground. Rather, all he has to do is to move his head. 
So he moves his head a little bit for ruku, and then he moves his head further down for sujood. And this was mentioned by Sheikh Abdul Salam al-Shawayr in his explanation. فَإِنْ عَجَزَ أَوْمَأَ بِأَيْنِهِ If the person in this situation lying down is unable to even move to make ima uh, with his head, uh, may Allah preserve us, he has some problems with his neck, okay, he's unable to even move his neck, then what he does, he uses his eyes. So he has his eyes fully open for the for the intention of intending that he's standing. And when he wants to go into Raqul, he closes his eyes a bit more. And for sujood, he closes his eyes even more. SubhanAllah, we have to thank Allah for the gifts that we have and pray that we're never put in such a situation. Another riwayah in the madhab of Ahmad is أَنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَسْقُطْ عَنْهُ حِينَهَا وَلَا تُوجَدْ صَلَاةَ بِإِيمَاءَ الْعَيْنِ وَإِخْتَارَهُ إِبْنْ تَيْمِيَةَ Another riwayah, but it's a minority riwayah, it's a minority opinion in the madhab, however held by the esteemed Imam Ibn Taymiyyah is that if a person is not even able to make ima, which is to gesture with the head in the salah, and it's a case where he can only pray with his eyes, then according to Ibn Taymiyyah in the second opinion, that there's no salah upon the person, because there's no actions left from uh, movement of the body in the salah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The author he said, فَإِنْ قَدْرَ أَوْ عَجَزَ فِي إِثْنَائِهَا إِنْ تَقَلَى إِلَى الْآخَرِ If the person's in a situation where he's praying, standing up, okay, but then suddenly he becomes unable, so he goes to the next situation is what the author is saying. Okay, so for example, a person is uh, standing, difficulty comes upon him, then he can pray sitting down. If he's sitting down and praying, and then he gets a burst of good health, then he can pray standing up, okay? Um, however, to add here, Sheikh Hamad al-Hamad, he mentions that if the person is in a situation where he's praying, uh, sitting down, and he's reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, right? So he has a burst of good health. He's sitting down, and he's at the point where he's uh, reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. And now he wants to stand up because he's had that burst of good health. He shouldn't complete the recitation of the Fatiha from sitting to standing. He should wait till he stands up completely, and then he should continue or complete the recitation of the Fatiha. It's not to be done in the intiqal, in the movement in between the sitting to the standing. And in the opposite situation, if the person is standing reciting Surah Al-Fatiha and then they become poorly and they need to sit down, in this situation it's allowed for the person uh, to pray whilst he is sitting down, to pray this, the rest of the Fatiha whilst he is sitting down. Uh, another point to mention here is that Sheikh Sami ibn Abdurrahman and Habi he mentions in his explanation that if a person cannot make sujood on the ground, he has some difficulty for whatever reason with his forehead and he can't make sujood on the ground, uh, but he can do if he puts some type of padding on the ground, like a cushion, uh, then in this situation he's allowed to do so. Why? Because Ibn Abbasin radiallahu anhu uh, allowed this and Umm Salama radiallahu anha actually did this, she made sujood upon a pillow. And both of these athar, both of these narrations uh, pertaining to the companions are found in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The author he says, وَإِنْ قَدْرَ عَلَىٰ قِيَامٍ وَقُؤُودٍ دُونَ رُقُوءٍ وَسُجُودٍ أَوْ مَأَىٰ بِرُقُوءٍ قَائِمًا وَسُجُودٍ قَائِدًا If the person is able to pray standing up, and he's able to pray sitting down, However, he cannot make the ruku, nor can he make the sujood. So in the situation here, the person, he prays standing, 
and when it comes to the time of making ruku, he makes ima. And ima, as we said, is to gesture with the head, right? So he comes as close as ruku as possible, uh, or if he's unable to make ruku completely, bend his back, then he just gestures with his head, standing up, because uh, doing it standing up is closer to ruku. And likewise, if he's in a position uh, whereby he can sit down, uh, so he can sit for tashahud, etc., he can sit between the two sajdas, but he can't make sujood. So in this situation, again, he makes ima, he gestures with his head for the sujood, or if able, he comes as close as possible to the position of sujood. Tayyib. Sheikh Uthaymin, he asked this question. He said, if one can pray standing, but this would have to be at home, because by the time he gets to the masjid, he'll be tired due to his illness, and he would have to pray sitting down in the masjid. So the question is that he can pray standing if he's praying at home, or he can pray in the masjid, but by the time he ends up, finishes his walk there, he will be tired and he will have to pray sitting down. Then what should he do? Should he pray at home or should he go to the masjid and pray? Question to yourselves. Barakallah feek. So going to the masjid is preferred even if you have to carry somebody there. So when we mentioned before in the lesson about carrying somebody there, that was pertinent to Juma. Uh, so the ulama, they said, with regards to carrying somebody, is there, uh, it's regarding the Jum'ah, as long as it doesn't harm the person. And you may be thinking about the author of Ibn Masudin, anhu, where he said that a man would be brought to the masjid uh, with one on either side of him, carrying him, and he would be brought to the masjid to pray. So in this situation, yes, you are correct. However, the Hanbali scholars, they said that the person has the ikhtiyar, he has the choice whether to pray, at home or whether to go to the masjid okay because both of them are incumbent upon him in one way or the other it's incumbent upon him to stand and it's also incumbent upon him to go to the masjid so the madhab's opinion is that he has the choice however al-mirdawi imam al-mirdawi in his book al-insaf uh, imam al-mirdawi is a, a very important figure in the latter hanbali scholars and his book uh, al-insaf is a book which deals with comparative fiqh but the comparative fiqh is within the madhab itself. So the book looks at all the different opinions within the madhab and it gives that which is considered to be the most relied upon opinion. So Al-Mirdawi in Al-Insaf, he said that it's better to pray standing rather than going to the masjid. Why? Because standing is a rukun and the wajib of going to the masjid is excused because the person is sick. And Allah knows best. The author, he says, that a sick person, okay, he's able to stand. So he's able to stand, but the doctor has told him that you should pray laying down. So in this situation, the person uh, doesn't have to stand because a trustworthy Muslim doctor has told him whether male or female, that you can, you have to pray sitting down due to this particular medicine that you are taking, okay? Or due to this uh, treatment that you are having, uh, you have to pray lying down, even though the person can stand. But due to the particular situation they're in, medical situation uh, or treatment, they are told by a trustworthy doctor that they have to pray uh, laying down. So most of the ulama of the madhab, they say that the person has to be a Muslim doctor, right? Trustworthy Muslim doctor. However, Uthaymin rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that no, it can be a non-Muslim also, as long as the person is trustworthy. And the proof for that is in because in Bukhari, the Prophet when he was making hijrah to al-Madinah, 
the Prophet ﷺ took the services of a non-Muslim to guide him to Medina. So this situation was a critical situation where the Prophet ﷺ was being chased uh, by the Quraysh. They would be hunting him and Abu Bakr anhu. However, the Prophet ﷺ in that critical situation uh, took a disbeliever to be his guide to take him to Medina. So as long as the person is trustworthy in, in having the skills and the knowledge of what they want to do, then they can go ahead and use that person. And in fact, Uthaymin ta'ala, he went on to mention an important point, which is that, uh, you know, we have to be just and mention that there are some Muslim doctors out there that are more conscientious and more ethical than many of the Muslim doctors in the sense that they would hate to break their code of ethics when it comes to treating patients. And, and this is the reality, sadly, that many of the Muslim doctors, all it is for them is just a job. They will just write you a prescription uh, for every single sickness rather than looking you over properly and giving you the treatment that is required of you. The author, he says, وَلَا تَسِحُّ صَلَاتُهُ قَائِدًا فِي السَّفِينَةِ وَهُوَ قَادِرٌ عَلَى الْقِيَامِ And it's not permissible for the person to pray sitting down whilst he's able to pray standing up, okay, in a safina, on a boat. So if a person could pray on a boat, standing up, or even on a flight, on a plane, standing up, then the person has to pray standing up. But if it means that a person cannot pray standing up, maybe on the boat there's not much height, or maybe it's very turbulent on the sea, then the person can pray sitting down. And likewise, on an aeroplane, we can't go to sitting down straight away. We have to ask the hostess to give us permission to pray standing up. If they say no, they don't allow it, then we can pray sitting down. Okay, so we shouldn't first go to praying sitting down unless we check whether or not this particular airline allows us to pray standing as some airlines do allow us to pray standing. So this person that's praying on the boat, um, he has to also ensure that he's facing the Qibla wherever the boat is turning. So however the boat is turning, he turns in the opposite direction if need be to ensure that he's facing the Qibla if he's able to do so. And likewise on the plane also, when the person is praying, the person prays in the direction of the Qibla if able to do so. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The last few points, the author he says, وَيَصِحُّ الْفَرْضُ عَلَى الرَّاحِلَةِ خَشَّةَ التَّأَذَّةِ لِوَحَدِ It's permissible for a person to pray fard, meaning the wajib salah, the fard salah, on a mode of transport, okay, camel, donkey, car, whatever it be. If he's on a mode of transport, it's permissible for him to pray uh, the fard salah, خَشَّةَ التَّأَذَّةِ لِوَحَدِ If he is fearful of getting down and praying on the muddy, slushy ground, meaning that the ground is not in a state for the person to pray. If he was to get off his beast and he was to pray uh, on the ground, then it would cause him a lot of difficulty in the sense that he would be covered in mud and other type of slush. It could also be that a person is in, stuck in traffic in heavy rain. Okay, so the person, he can't get out of his car and go to the sidewalk, to the pavement and pray because the rain is heavy. Uh, so in these situations, the person is allowed to pray in their riding beast or their modes of transport, the obligatory salah. However, it should be borne in mind that the person should think, if I'm unable to get out and to pray, uh, is the prayer from one of those which I can join to another prayer? Can I delay this prayer until the time of Asr, for example? Can I delay Dhuhr until Asr? If it's the case that you can, uh, then the person should delay the prayer until the next prayer which he can join with, because that will ensure that he can fulfill all of the pillars of the prayer. And also if a person could stand, like uh, he could stand on the riding beast, but he's unable to make sujood because there's not enough room, then he should make ima with, uh, for sujood. He should gesture for the sujood. The author he says, لا للمرض. 
that the person he cannot do this meaning he cannot pray on the means of transport the fard salah due to only being sick what they mean by this is say for example a person is riding a camel the person is sick and so he says to himself i'm going to pray my fard salah on the camel now there's no difference to the person whether he prays on the camel or he gets on the ground and prays because his sickness is such that it doesn't make a difference so it's better for him or rather it's incumbent upon him to get off the camel and to pray on the ground unless it's a situation whereby he can't get back on the, uh, the mode of transport if he can't get back on the camel then in this situation he would be allowed to pray on the riding beast okay uh, but the author is saying that in general the person who is sick cannot pray his fard on the riding beast unless there is a need to do so We'll stop there. Anything which was correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shortcomings and mistakes from myself and shaitan. I pray that this is of benefit to yourselves and that you're revising and taking notes and going on not only to teach yourself but to teach your your close loved family members. If you have any questions, then feel free, inshallah. Tafadalu.